0: Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. I'm Jonathan Brill. On this week's show, we report on the education sector, which seems to be facing considerable challenges. We interview Russell Dalgleish, a serial entrepreneur, and get his tips for young people. And in our feature on artificial intelligence, we are looking at the fashion industry. The Institute of Directors has warned the new GCSE grading system is gibberish and will cost students jobs. Oh, crikey. Last week, we told tales of doom about apprenticeships and universities. This week, it's the 16-plus exams in the UK that are being mauled. Students will receive their marks for GCSEs this week for the first time under the new numerical system, which uses grades 1 to 9 rather than from A to G. But pupils will be marked under the new system for English Literature, English Language and Maths, while the rest of their subjects will be given the old A-star to G grades. Oh, dear. Seamus Nevin, the head of employment and skills policy at the Institute of Directors, which represents leaders of British business, said that many employers will only discover that the GCSEs have changed once they begin receiving CVs from pupils. They might think, what is this gibberish? They might well. And what does it mean and how has it changed from previous grading systems? If the employer is time poor and resource constrained, then they can on occasions be quite keen to get through as many CVs as possible. So if they have a CV that they don't understand, then they might opt for the ones that they do understand. Meanwhile, more than half of the parents do not know that a nine represents a top grade under the new system, according to a survey of over a thousand parents. Of those who were polled, a fifth believed that the new grades will harm their children's future prospects. Justine Roberts, who's the founder and chief executive of Mumsnet, said, there is heightened anxiety and confusion about GCSEs. I met up with Russell Dalgleish while he was hosting a prestigious garden party. He was kilted and in relaxed mode. Today I'm talking to Russell Dalgleish, who's one of Scotland's leading entrepreneurs. Russell, good afternoon. Tell me, in your experience, in your case, what is an entrepreneur?
1: When I was a young man, I don't think we really had entrepreneurs. What we had were people who wanted to, had a desire not to be a member of staff, but instead to run their own business. And today, we use the term entrepreneur, but I still think it's someone who wants to run their own business, have control over their own destiny, and quite importantly to me, it's someone who wants to change the world.
0: Does every entrepreneur that you've met want to change the world, or does some of them just want to make money?
1: Um, I think most of the entrepreneurs I meet are in some way changing the world. People might not say that's what they're trying to do, but in effect, they are you no, know, because they're taking what is the status quo and they're changing it in some way, they're delivering a service differently, they're creating a new product, they're delivering something that's in a unique way.
0: So, as an entrepreneur, as Russell Dudleash, the entrepreneur, do you have one project going at a time or a number of projects?
1: Um, I, I'm very fortunate, I, I discovered. I'll talk a little bit about leadership because that'll lead on to it. So there are a lot of books on on leadership. And as an entrepreneur, you're a leader of your own business. And I believe leadership starts with self-analysis. So when I performed, I've had a successful career and, and built and sold businesses. But about five or six years ago, I decided that I wanted to take this entrepreneurial step and be in control of my own destiny. And I had a look at me as a human being and what I like and what I don't like. And I didn't enjoy being chief exec of a large company. And I could do it, but it was more of an administrative function. It was more of a single track all the time, a single project, single company. And I I like the diversity. So I now take the position where I'm viewed as being a serial entrepreneur. And by that, I am directly involved in probably over a dozen companies at the present moment. For each of those companies, I have an advisory role, except within my own company, Exalta. And what we do as as an advisor, what we're doing is we're working directly with the entrepreneur, helping them to bring their vision to life.
0: Does that mean that for you, you couldn't do what you're doing now unless you had had your previous career. I'm looking at this from the perspective of a young person and they couldn't walk into an advisory role in, in the way you are doing it. Am I right
1: in that? So, so let's talk a little bit about the young entrepreneurs I work with. So we'll use some examples. So I have, um, I was working with a young entrepreneur in Scotland who 18 Um, called me up and said, uh, I want to offer a service to other young entrepreneurs which we delivered through holding an event. And I wanted to help him. And he harangued me and harangued me and persuaded that I would help him. And we put on a very successful small event in Edinburgh, a couple of hundred people. Great experience. And then we come on to what he wanted to do next. So his idea was to repeat that event. And I said, let's do something bigger. So this young man who had never been to the States, agreed that what we would do is to put on an event in San Francisco, San Francisco, the technology capital. So he decided that's what he would do, and I supported him in doing that. And that's a changing the world idea. And then as soon as you start to change the world, the world contrives in your favor. So he decided that he wanted Apple to take part in this event. So I knew a couple of people at Apple in the UK, but he said, no, Let's write to the chief exec. So he wrote, as a young entrepreneur, he wrote to Tim Cook, CEO Apple. And he got a response. Two weeks later, a response came back from Tim Cook's department to say, I wish you every success with your event." I'm afraid I can't meet you when you're in San Francisco because I'm too busy running Apple, but I have another gentleman in the organisation who might be able to meet with you. We met with that person and we successfully worked with them for a couple of years. And that to me is that, that passion that a young entrepreneur can bring is what changes the world. And so many young entrepreneurs believe they're at a disadvantage because of their age. I can assure you, you're at a huge advantage because as a young person, if you contact a senior business figure, and you say, hello, I'm trying to do something to change the world. I'd love your advice on what you think of my idea. I guarantee you a number of those business leaders like myself will try and help you.
0: So instead of youth being a disadvantage, you can use it for a, a way in which to advance your own entrepreneurialism
1: in a way. Absolutely. Because you've got to remember, I, I'm 53. And I can still remember being a young business person. And if someone at 18 calls me up, I'm really impressed that they called me up. Because that took a lot of fear they had to overcome in order to make that call or send that email. And then I'll look at the way they did the communication. Is that, like If it's an email, is it a polite email? Does the email in some way explain why they would want to talk to me?
0: So there's this young person, they're 18, and they're, mm-hmm. they've got a choice. There's a guy called Russell Douglas who says, if you phone me up, I'll be impressed. Yep. And there's parents from careers advisors saying, go to university yep. first. Is it horses for courses? How would you advise in that situation?
1: It's horses for courses. And it's really difficult at 18 to know which horse to back. Um, what I would say, and I continually advise this to young entrepreneurs, you're probably going to live to 100. So don't worry about things at the moment. Do what you think's right. If you feel I'm going to go to university, gain some qualifications, gain some experience, do that. If you think I'm going to start a business tomorrow, do that. You have got no risk. The people who are in a difficult situation to be an entrepreneur is a person who's got family responsibilities, mortgage responsibilities, her car, no, those costs and that, that income that they have to generate each month is a real pressure for them. But if you're 18 years of age, possibly living at home, go do what you want to do. And don't believe that you can't do it because you're not American or not Russian. You, any of us can do anything. You only have to look at some of the tech successes where we've seen young people just like you changing the world.
0: So looking at the advice that they're getting now and what's on offer? Two questions really. One, does it matter what you study? And two, are entrepreneurial degrees or master's degrees a good thing?
1: This is a real challenge for me, this question, because again, it's all up to individuals, because through education, we're learning the things we don't know. So, Provided you're learning things that you don't know which will be useful, then that's a good idea. Now, for example, I don't have an MBA because I don't believe that an MBA would add significant value to what I currently know to make up for the fact that I'd have to give up all that time in order to study the MBA. So, so I choose not to do that. I think as, as individuals, we know at 16 or 18, roughly how brave we're feeling. Hmm. And I think it's probably sensible to, you know, it, 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 let's put it another way. If you've worked since the age of 12 and you started at 12 working in a news agency and then by 14, you were maybe selling things on the internet, you're probably an entrepreneur and you're going to go down that route. If you've never worked at all, you've never brought in income yourself, and you're 18, I'd probably go to university because you're going to need to get that experience. It's interesting in my own family, um, my eldest son's an entrepreneur. My middle son left school at 16 with no qualifications. No, so there's a diff- they both took a completely different approach. And as I sit here today, they're both probably equally happy.
0: And if you were invited to give a lecture on an entrepreneurial degree, would you go and say entrepreneurialism can be taught? Or would you say the opposite?
1: I think it's a bit like anything, which is, you need to have a talent for. Coaching and education can make you better at it, but you probably have to have something inside you that wants to make you do it in the first place. And I think that's probably the key to it. But the challenge as individuals is how do we know what we're good at at a young age? Because typically at a young age, we're less likely to be taking the risks. And then the risks are important because you take the risks and go, I took a risk and went on a roller coaster. I didn't like roller coasters, I'm not gonna do that again. But if I didn't go on the roller coaster in the first place, I never know. I, I recently completed um, a Tough Mudder event, which comprised a half half marathon course, running, jumping over obstacles and everything. And everyone thought, well, that's incredibly brave, Russell, because you couldn't run between two lampposts. And that's correct. And you know, I know, I taught myself. I taught myself to run further and further and further each day. I then hired a coach who managed to help me with what I ate and how to make my running better. But none of those were my fear. My fear was jumping in water. I'd never jumped on a swimming pool in my life and I was going to go on this event and jump off a 20-foot platform into the unknown. And the biggest thrill I had on that day was that jump. The fact I had to run half-marathon distance, that was just hard work. But overcoming that fear of jumping into the water changed my life, even though I was 51.
0: So a young person is coming into interview and you're sitting at the head of the table. What are you looking for in that young person? You've talked about people who phone you up and you're impressed mm-hmm. with that. But that's, that's first level. If they're going to work for you, it's got to be more than the surface. So what, is, what are the qualities?
1: Well, I'll answer that question as an example. So for the last four years, I've run projects with a local university, Napier University in Edinburgh. And I've worked with the marketing strand. And part of the marketing degree in the third year involves doing what they call a live project. So I provide the projects. So I have clients who want to know this or want to know that. So I package those up as projects and give them to the students. Now, I then, a couple of years later, tend to hire a couple of those students when they graduate. Or I help them set up a business on their own. The way I select the students, let's go through the knots, It's not the ones who wrote the best report. It's not the ones who were most diligent. It was not the ones who gave the best presentation. It was the ones that overcame a fear. So I've hired four years worth of projects, 12 people each year, that's 48 people. Of those 48 undergraduates, only two of them have phoned me up during the project and went, Russell, you're not responding to our emails. You must give us this information now. This is really important. I heard both of them. So I hired the ones who had enough passion to actually understand that they were important, not the fact that I was big and scary and I was important. So they knew completing the project was important. So they knew to overcome their fear and to push me. And it it might just be coincidence that they're the two I hired, but they're the two I hired.
0: We're looking at tips now. Uh, and the there's a variety of things coming from entrepreneurs and people running businesses that talk about a freedom of mindset when, you, when you're coming into the business. Is that a tip that you would give to young people or is something more important to you?
1: Single most important thing is make money. Um, know how to
0: make money or have a passion to make money?
1: Know, know the importance of the business making money. And it sounds trite because it might sound like, because we'll hear people saying, I'm not in this business to make money. I'm not playing, I'm not playing football to make money. I just happen to make money because I play football. My passion's playing football. Now, it's the same with um, being an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur, you have to have as part of the goal to make money. And I explain this to people because I say, unless you make money, how are we going to have lunch? How are we going to be able to spend time together having a drink if you're not making any money doing what you're doing? So you have to find a way to make money. And as an entrepreneur, you have a number of key steps you have to do. One is you have to find the money. You have to find the money. The money may come from investment. It may come from selling. It may come from borrowing money. It may come from a family loan. You need to have the money in our world because you need the money to buy the assets to run the business. And that is an absolute key
0: and I hate to end on a negative note, but if you can turn this into positive, what are the worst things that people do when they're coming for an interview or coming to talk to you about a job? What's the worst things that they're doing?
1: They haven't done the research. Now, the research is the important part. So today, with you've got to remember at my age, when I was a young salesperson at 21, and I was going out to meet a new client, I had to go to something called a library and pull documentation out to read about that company, to go and see that company. So now, if someone's coming for me for an interview, all they have to do is to type in my name or the name of the company into Google, and they'll find the information. But I have got—I I run a course for um, school leavers trying to get the first job, and there's an approach that they should take. When you go to that first interview, take two things with you. Take a copy of your CV. I know you've sent the CV to the client, but take a copy of your CV and print out the landing page of that company. Print out the landing page or some information about that company. Staple those two bits of paper together and put them in an envelope. The reason for this is that you will be better prepared than most of the other people they interview. You will be sitting in reception waiting to go into the interview with nothing to read by the two bits of paper in your envelope, so you're likely to read a bit about the company. When you go into the meeting, you remove the two pieces of paper from the envelope, you turn your CV round so it faces the people that interviews you and push it forward. The chances are if they're like me, they don't have a copy of your CV with you, and suddenly you look incredibly well organised. You
0: have been listening to Russell Douglas with some Hints, but I would say some amazing insights. Russell, thank you indeed. Thank you, Now, Sometimes we talk to the mind behind the appearance, but this week, in our shallow way, we're looking at clothes, at AI in the fashion industry, to be precise. The global fashion industry is valued worldwide at an estimated $3 trillion and represents 2% of the global global GDP, that's the gross domestic product. E-commerce has shifted that industry, as you well know, from strictly brick and mortar, and in the US particular catalog, to a more mobile, social media friendly space, which has opened up in applications of AI and fashion that may help to mold the future of the customer experience. So three key questions. What types of AI applications are currently in use by leading clothing brands such as Dior and Nike? What results have been reported on these applications implemented by these huge companies? Are there any common trends amongst these innovation efforts? Right, the most popular AI application from the top five industry leaders currently using AI appears to be, yes, you've guessed it, chatbots and AI assistance. Here are some of the more common use cases amongst the largest fashion brands we looked at, divided into improving what happens online, to more excitingly, what are these bots going to do in your store? The top five companies implementing AI in the fashion industry are aiming to improve the customer shopping experience online, in-store, and through social media. As these purchases are processed increasingly online, leading brands are attempting to develop an edge against their competitors by rolling out customised interactions with their customers, chiefly through the use of these chatbots. And as an industry where the bricks and mortar retail outlets are still an essential part of the sector's approach to business, finding a smart balance between physical stores on the one hand and online stores, that's going to continue to be an important consideration going forward. And the chatbots, well, are they really practical? They're going to be geared towards improving the online and in-store product navigation, yeah. And these show great promise because they're going to sustain customer interest and use in the near term. And while it would seem rather intuitive to access customers through social media, the chatbots accessed through social media platforms are more challenging. It's more difficult to get them right, to maintain them, and to support them technically. As leading brands set the tone with the use of AI, the good people at TechEmergence who conducted this research state, we would expect consumers to grow accustomed to these features over time and for the field to grow increasingly competitive as AI is more widely implemented. Here at Eduvate, we will continue to watch the fashion industry and retail at large. We'll watch that closely as we anticipate increased implementation of AI in the foreseeable future, and we will look at its potential impact on jobs. And here's a special offer. If you are a registered Eduvate user, and if you want to comment on any of the stories you've heard in our podcasts or receive introductions to any or all of the people that we've interviewed, we'd be happy to help. You'll find us online at eduvate.biz job ready. Employer says yes.